In January of 250 AD, four months after taking power, the Emperor Dacius issued an edict. Every man, woman, and child in the Roman Empire was to offer sacrifice to the pagan gods or die. He moved rapidly. By the 20th of that month, the Pope, St. Fabian, had been martyred. Dacius said that he would rather hear of a rival to his throne than the, of the election of a new bishop in Rome. The government persecution was so intense that the Holy See remained vacant for over a year. The historian Philip Hughes explains Dacius' methods and goals. The basic idea was that paganism was to be restored and Catholicism was to disappear. A day was appointed when by the imperial edict upon all those whose religious allegiance was doubtful were to appear before a local commission. Each one of the suspects was ordered to offer sacrifice to the pagan idols, to make a declaration denying his faith and insulting our Lord, and finally they had to join in a formal pagan banquet to consume the wines and foods offered to the idols. Government certificates were then issued as proof that the accused had proved himself to be a good pagan. Not a single town, not a single village of the empire escaped the trial. For those who refused to sacrifice, the penalty was ultimately death. But the emperor's intention was not so much the massacre of Christians as their conversion to paganism. As a result, the loyal Christians suffered long, drawn-out trials which lasted for months, filled the prisons. They suffered repeated interrogations and extensive use of torture, all in the hope of gradually breaking down their resistance. The number of apostates was immense. Remember, apostate is someone who had the Catholic faith and then rejected it entirely. In his ecclesiastical histories, Eusebius, the ancient church historian, quotes a letter from the Bishop of Alexandria which gives us some idea of the situation. Quote, When the edict arrived, all were truly struck with fear. And in their fear, many of the more eminent persons came forward immediately. Others who were in the public service were drawn on by their official duties, while others were urged on by those around them. As their names were called, they approached the impure and unholy sacrifices. Some of them were pale and trembled as if they were not about to sacrifice, but rather to be themselves the sacrifices and offerings to the idols, so that they were jeered at by the multitude who stood around, as it was plain to everyone that these people were cowards and everything, since they were afraid either to die or to sacrifice. But others ran eagerly to the altars, declaring boldly that they had never been Christians. Some who fled were captured. Of these, some who had even been imprisoned for many days, then denied the faith before they were brought to trial. Others, after having for a long time endured great tortures, finally gave in and retracted. But the firm, being strengthened by the Lord, appropriate to the strong faith which they possessed, became admirable witnesses of his kingdom. Close quote. In his book, The Lapsed, St. Cyprian, Bishop of Carthage, analyzed the causes of the persecution. We'll break down his discussion into five points. St. Cyprian of Carthage, quote, Yet, beloved brethren, if the cause of the terrible persecution is recognized, there is at once found a remedy for the wound. The Lord has desired his family to be tested, 
And because a long peace had corrupted the practice of our way of life, which God had delivered to us, the heavenly rebuke has aroused our faith, which was giving way, and I had almost said, slumbering. Close quote. Okay, so the first point is that because the people had grown lax in their faith during a long time of peace for the church, the Lord had awakened their faith by putting them to the test. St. Cyprian, quote, Each one was desirous of increasing his estate and forgetting what the faithful used to do in the times of the apostles and what they always ought to do. Each one with insatiable greed devoted himself to the increase of his property. Gone was the devotion of the bishops to the service of God. Gone was the clergy's faithful integrity. Gone the generous compassion for the needy. Gone all the discipline in our behavior. Close quote. So the second point is during this long period of peace, materialism and greed infected every level of the church. St. Cyprian, quote, The faithful united in the bond of marriage with unbelievers. They would swear not only rashly, but even more would swear falsely, would despise those set over them with haughty swelling, would speak evil of one another with envenomed tongue, would quarrel with one another with obstinate hatred. Close quote. So the third point is the faithful grew indifferent to the commandments of God and ceased to live authentic Catholic lives. St. Cyprian, quote, If that is what we have become, what do we not deserve to suffer for sins of this kind? When even the judgment of God has forewarned us, saying, If they shall forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they shall profane my statutes and shall not observe my precepts, I will visit their offenses with a rod and their sins with scourges. We had already been told this and have been warned beforehand. But we, forgetful of the law and the obedience required of us, have brought it upon ourselves by our sins that we should have to face correction for despising God's commandments and should have our faith put to sterner tests. Close quote. So the fourth point is that in spite of the fact the Lord has explicitly warned mankind that rejecting his righteous commandments will result in serious punishment, the faithful have ignored God and continue to sin and as a result called down these punishments upon themselves. St. Cyprian, quote, Nor indeed have we at last been corrected, converted to the fear of the Lord, so as to undergo patiently and courageously this our correction and divine test. Immediately, at the first words of the threatening foe, the greatest number of the brethren betrayed their faith and were cast down, not by the onset of persecution, but cast themselves down by voluntary lapse. What unheard of thing, I beg of you, what new thing had happened? Have not prophets and apostles told of these things? Have they not predicted the afflictions of the righteous and the injuries of the heathens? They did indeed not wait to be apprehended or to be interrogated before they denied. Many were conquered before the battle, prostrated before the attack. Close quote. So the fifth point is, in this time of laxity, the faith had grown so weak that it was all a veneer, which is why when the threats began, even before the onset of the persecution, the majority of the Catholics betrayed their faith voluntarily. The faith had grown so weak during their laxity that for many it was just a veneer, which is why when the threats began, 
before the onset of the persecution, the majority of the Catholics betrayed their faith voluntarily. One last detail. St. Cyprian laments at great length the fact that many of these public sinners, these apostates who had offered worship at the pagan altars of the government, still dared to receive Holy Communion, and that priests would grant this. Quote, Moreover, beloved brethren, a new kind of devastation has appeared. Contrary to the law of the Lord and God, communion is given to the lapsed, which is dangerous to those who grant it and likely to avail nothing to those who receive it. Returning from the altars of the devil, the lapsed draw near to the holy place of the Lord before their sin is expiated, before confession has been made of their crime before their conscience has been purged by sacrifice and by the hand of the priest, before the offense of an angry and threatening Lord has been appeased. Violence is done to our Lord's body and blood, and they now sin against their Lord more than when they denied their Lord. This is another persecution. Close quote. Okay, quick review. What have we seen? We've seen that Dacius... The emperor had issued an edict of persecution in the year 250. Under the penalty of death, every man, woman, and child was to offer sacrifice to the pagan gods. We've seen that the loyal Christians were forced to suffer long, drawn-out trials, repeated interrogations, and torture, all with the goal of gradually breaking down their resistance to paganism, since the emperor's intention was not so much the massacre of Christians as their conversion. The goal was to restore paganism and, in the consequence, destroy Catholicism. We've seen that the number of apostates is immense. What makes it even more remarkable that many of the Catholics, without any force being applied to them at all, would actually volunteer to perform the sacrifices. The prominent upper-class Catholics, those in government service, those urged on by their friends, and even a whole group who ran eagerly to the altars declaring they were not Christians. We've seen St. Cyprian of Carthage analyze the causes of persecution. Five points. Number one, during a long time of peace for the church, the people had grown so lax that in order to awaken their faith, the Lord decided to put them to the test. Number two, materialism and greed had infected every level of the church and took the place of the faithful service of God. Number three, the faithful had grown indifferent to the commandments of God and had ceased to lead authentic Catholic lives. Number four, in spite of the fact they were well aware that the Lord had explicitly warned mankind that rejecting his righteous commandments would result in serious punishment, the faithful ignored God and continued to sin, and in consequence called these judgments down upon themselves. And five, the faith had grown so weak during the time of laxity that for many it was simply a veneer, which is why when the threats began, even before the onset of the persecution itself, the majority of the Catholics betrayed their faith voluntarily. We've also seen that in the midst of this, there were many who had offered sacrifice on the government altars, and then without public repentance or confession, would present themselves for communion, which some priests would grant. This all happened more than 17 centuries ago. But today, 
on the eve of its 235th birthday, except for the bloody persecution, there are uncanny parallels with the situation in our beloved country. We, too, have government-protected pagan altars, like the Stone Circle, for example, that's used for pagan worship at the Air Force Academy, or those federally protected altars for human sacrifice that we can find in every abortion mill in this country. We, too, have legions of the lapsed, public sinners, like these so-called Catholic pro-abort politicians, many of whom will receive communion today without any public repentance or confession. It is true that so far in our beloved country, Christians have not been commanded to sacrifice to the pagan gods. It is true that so far, except for pro-life activists, most Christians have not been forced to suffer long, drawn-out trials, repeated interrogations, or physical torture. But it is also absolutely clear that there is a well-established, highly-placed, highly financed movement whose goal is to gradually break down Christian resistance to paganism. And at least at present, their intention is not so much the massacre of Christians as their conversion. And it's also true that the number of apostates is immense, absolutely immense. Today we only have time to briefly consider one small aspect of this many-faceted attack. For context, we'll start by listening to a prophetic interview done six years ago with the now Cardinal Burke. St. Louis, February 9, 2005. In an interview with LifeSiteNews.com, St. Louis Archbishop Raymond Burke said that as Catholics continue to speak out on life and family issues, they will face persecution. There is going to be a persecution with regards to this. That's clear, said the Archbishop. During the debate in the U.S., about refusing communion to Catholic politicians who support abortion, Burke issued a pastoral letter explaining that although the refusal by a pastor or bishop to distribute Holy Communion to anyone is a source of great sorrow, what would be profoundly more sorrowful would be the failure of a bishop to call a soul to conversion, the failure to protect the flock from scandal, and the failure to safeguard the worthy reception of communion. Rather than avoiding the reason behind the San Francisco-style marriage push, the societal acceptance of San Francisco behavior, Burke addressed it head-on, warning that the tendency to avoid the issue is dangerous. Archbishop Burke told LifeSiteNews.com that his motivation to continue to speak out on life and family issues comes from Christ himself and the natural moral law which the Archbishop said is not the question of a belief of a particular religion, but is part of the patrimony of the whole human race. The Archbishop acknowledged that speaking the truth was intimidating. It's intimidating because we live, as our Holy Father says, in a society of a culture of death, where people want to convince us that everything should be convenient 
and comfortable, and they don't like to hear a voice which says, this isn't right. But with being outspoken on the truth will come persecution, a fact the archbishop is willing not only to acknowledge, but to accept. Bishops will be persecuted, he said, and also priests and lay people. Even now, those proclaiming the truth are called San Francisco-phobic and hateful, yet the archbishop explains it's what it means to be a sign of contradiction. We just have to accept that. We have to remain tranquil and proclaim the truth with charity, but insisting on the truth. If we look to the example of our Lord, we have to take up the cross for the defense of life, he said. Close quote. As Catholics continue to speak out on life and family issues, they will face persecution. It is clear that there's going to be a persecution. The tendency to avoid the San Francisco marriage issue is dangerous and must be addressed head on. Speaking the truth is intimidating because we live in a culture of death where people want to convince us that everything should be convenient and comfortable and they don't like to hear a voice which says, this isn't right. Persecution will come with being outspoken on the truth. Bishops will be persecuted, and also priests and laymen. It's what it means to be a sign of contradiction. We just have to accept that. We have to remain tranquil, proclaim the truth with charity, but insisting on the truth. If we look to the example of our Lord, we have to take up the cross for the defense of life. The tendency to avoid the San Francisco marriage issue is dangerous and must be addressed head on. Item, Washington, D.C., June 28, 2011, last Tuesday. Quote, if San Francisco activists at the U.S. Department of Agriculture, USDA, have their way, a radical San Francisco sensitivity training program developed by the department could soon be coming to every federal agency, the Washington Times reported Sunday. The USD program includes a diversity briefing for employees which refers to the belief that marriage should be restricted to a union between a man and a woman as heterosexism and compares the belief to racism. Close quote. Bishops will be persecuted and also priests and laymen. Item, March 24, 2011, quote, the U.S. Army has officially threatened military chaplains they must either embrace the new openly San Francisco military, resign for service, or face court-martial for their religious conscious objections. Close quote. The tendency to avoid the San Francisco marriage issue is dangerous and must be addressed head-on. Item, New York Times, June 25, 2011, a week ago Saturday. Quote, it was befuddling to San Francisco rights activists. The Catholic Church, arguably the only institution with the authority and reach to derail pseudo-marriage, seemed to shrink from the fight. As the marriage bill hurtled towards a vote, the head of the church in New York, Archbishop Timothy M. Dolan, left town to lead a meeting of bishops in Seattle. He did not travel to Albany or deliver a major speech in the final days of the session. And when he did issue a strongly worded critique of the legislation, he called it immoral and an ominous threat. It was over the phone to an Albany-area radio station. Close quote. To top that performance off, the bishops of New York 
reacted to this legislation by releasing their collective letter condemning pseudo-marriage after the vote by the legislature. After the vote. And about the same time, the so-called Catholic governor, who lives publicly with the so-called Catholic concubine, and yes, they do receive communion, they released the letter about when the governor was signing the bill into law. So in New York, the San Francisco lobby had their way and passed a pseudo-marriage law with virtually no resistance from church leaders. It was befuddling to the San Francisco rights advocates. The Catholic Church seemed to shrink from the fight. This means something. It means something. You didn't have to grow up in a rough part of the country or in a mean neighborhood to know exactly what this means. And believe me, the other side understand exactly what it means. Okay, so what does it mean? It means that the bishops can talk a good fight. That's what it means. But when it comes right down to it, when it comes right down to it, when it's time to put up or shut up, they won't even lace on the gloves and climb in the ring. They're not going to fight. They're going to run away. And then send a letter and talk tough after the fact. That's what it means. And it isn't good. It's a clear message. It's crystal clear. It tells everyone these bishops are not fighting men. They're all hat and no cattle. Obviously, they're exceptions. But this is a critical battle. And it means something. It means the fences are down and there's no one guarding the sheep. Believe me, the other side understands that. You can bet your last dollar on it. Anyone that thinks that we're just going to be left alone, that they're not going to try to force the church to recognize these unions and a host of other abominations, anyone that thinks that our beliefs are going to be respected and that we will be tolerated is in for a very, very rude surprise. After the vote, I contacted a good friend of mine. He's a Catholic lawyer who's involved in the issue very deeply. Among other things, he's on the legal team for the Perry versus Schwarzenegger case. Here's what he had to say, and I'll just read some of it. Quote, after the vote Friday night, my wife and I sat up talking about it. It could have been prevented probably easily by the bishops. I imagine a threat of excommunication with a strong warning of how serious a vote in favor of the bill would be would have put a halt on it. Instead, they were impotent. And the other side is really feeling its oats right now. Rightly so. They now know that what they were perceiving as strength was just an illusion. There's nothing behind the veneer. Close quote. It could have been prevented probably easily by the bishops. Instead, they were impotent. And the other side is really feeling its oats right now, and rightly so. They now know that what they were perceiving as strength was just an illusion. There's nothing behind the veneer. The bishops were impotent. There's nothing behind the veneer. There is a well-established 
highly placed, highly financed movement whose goal is to gradually break down Christian resistance to paganism, whose intention is not so much the massacre of Christians as their conversion. The number of apostates is already immense. As Catholics continue to speak out on life and family issues, they will face persecution. It is clear there's going to be a persecution. The tendency to avoid a San Francisco marriage issue is dangerous and must be addressed head on. Speaking the truth is intimidating because we live in a culture of death where people want to convince us that everything should be convenient and comfortable. They don't want to hear a voice that says, this isn't right. Persecution will come with being outspoken on the truth. Bishops will be persecuted and also priests and laymen. It's what it means to be a sign of contradiction. We just have to accept that. We have to remain tranquil and proclaim the truth with charity, but insisting on the truth. We have to look to the example of our Lord and take up the cross. The faithful need to do what they used to do in the times of the apostles, what they always ought to do. Get serious about the faith. Deadly serious. Look at the example of our Lord. Pray your rosary and take up your cross.